From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, this is Robert Seidman, and uh, this is a, an attempt at a solo podcast, which will probably go miserably awry, but uh, wanted to talk about NBA ratings, uh, start times, and also kind of weave the NFL's dominance into that. Uh, but first, I kind of want to meander my way into it by, uh, by talking about a bit that uh, David Shoemaker and Brian Curtis used to do on the uh, great the press box podcast and the bit was only in journalism words which was always kind of a misnomer because it was really only in the written words only in the written word words um and ultimately that that bit went off the rails like they had they had people sending them words that were used in speech pretty commonly they had people sending them yiddish words that my grandmother used to use uh and so they killed the bit off but before doing that uh, it was pretty interesting, and one of the reasons it was so interesting to me is because in the audiobook era, um, I, I listened to a lot of nonfiction, but I also listened to a lot of fiction, and I am exposed uh, to the oral pronunciations of many of these only in the written word words, and uh, I often run into, huh, I didn't think it was pronounced like that situation. So one of them, I, I had a, uh, a a phase where I binged all the Jack Reacher books and like, I don't know, 25 out of 30 of them are narrated by a guy named Dick Hill. And uh, Dick Hill would pronounce the word D-O-U-R, uh, which means kind of stern or harsh. Uh, to use it in a sentence, I would say, sometimes when I read Ryan Glassbeagle's tweets, I have a dour expression on my face. But anyway, in the uh, in the Jack Reacher books, that word always came up, doer, doer. And that is not how I would have pronounced it. Uh, and uh, over over the years, I, I'd hear it pronounced doer. I'd hear it pronounced dour. One day I went to Google. I searched. They brought the word up. They had a little, you know, speaker icon you could click to hear the word pronounced. And they pronounced it doer. And I was like, huh. Well, it turns out you can't necessarily trust Google uh, for these kinds of things. Uh, it's not awful, but uh, you, you should not necessarily think that is a definitive uh, source of information. And I came across this because um, I was thinking about sort of the very human trait. Uh, I, I do it sometimes. I see it all the time. Uh, with regard to ratings explanations, where people go from an idea that is plausible to thinking that that idea is not only probable, but probably is in fact the case. And, uh, and not, not probably the case. They sometimes will just jump to, yep, that is definitely the case. So they go from plausible to that happened. And uh, to me, that's a big mistake. And I was thinking about this one day, and so I, I just to make sure I had the literal definition of the word correctly, I googled it, put it in the search bar, and the definition that came up. Hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and read this correctly. Hang on, sorry about this delay here. And plausible. So the definition that Google gives at the top of its page, if you type it into Google, is 
uh, in parentheses, it's an adjective, in parentheses, of an argument or statement, then outside parentheses, seeming reasonable or probable. And I got to tell you, my reaction to this was, really? That's your definition of plausible? Because that is actually kind of not how I would have defined plausible. Uh, and and so, but, you know, so this, the source for these, for the Google dictionary definitions is from something called Oxford Languages. And I think, well, I probably have to trust the Oxford Languages at being better at English than, uh, than I am. Uh, but, you know, kind of wasn't really sure about that. So just in case, I went to Merriam-Webster. And here we go. Merriam-Webster's first definition is superficially fair, reasonable, or valuable, but often specious. And this is interesting because while that is kind of a, that's what I'm talking about much more than the, uh, than the, uh, the Google definition, uh, that's really not how I would define plausible either. So it turns out for over 50 years, one way or the other, I've been using the word plausible incorrectly. Um, the thing I don't like about the Webster's definition and is, you know, specious is kind of a loaded word. It means, according to Merriam-Webster, it means having a false look of truth or genuineness. And uh, I, that that's a little bit too loaded for my taste in these and these kind of discussions. And so uh, I'm going to split the baby between uh, Google's Oxford languages and Merriam-Webster. And I am going to go with. Uh, what I've always used plausible to mean, which was reasonable, but not necessarily probable. Uh, and uh, to the degree that I use the word plausible in the remainder of this podcast, you should assume that the context I'm using it in is reasonable, but not necessarily probable. Okay, but but uh, this had me thinking, it's like, well, I wonder how Merriam-Webster pronounces the word D-O-U-R. And it turns out they have, so they pronounce it both ways. And the first one that they list is the way I always pronounce it, which was dour. Uh, but they also have doer. So however you want to pronounce the word D-O-U-R, you can go either way with that, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, this all leads me into saying that uh, uh, my friend Ryan Glassbeagle, pretty clearly, I think, he, he goes more with the... Uh, the Google and Oxford languages version of the word plausible and, uh, you know, and, and has that big or probable, uh, when, 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 when it's in there, because, uh, Ryan, I, I think it was Monday after the, uh, excuse me, Tuesday morning after the, uh, the ratings for the Sunday night NBA finals game two came out, uh, you know, Ryan quote tweeted one of my tweets and he basically said, uh, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not going to pull this up, but, but the, the gist of his tweet was, um, I have this theory, and I know many will disagree with me, but uh, I really think, you know, so first of all, actually, let me back up. So just to set some context for the ratings, the NBA ratings are certainly lower than I expected them to be uh, with, uh, with Golden State and Boston playing, and my expectations were too high. Uh, but one thing I agree with Ryan on is, like, I kind of expected them to at least be at the 2019 levels, which uh, was Golden State playing the Toronto Raptors. Uh, so you had uh, two things uh, going kind of against that year's series. One is that uh, none of the Toronto viewing or any of the con- 
Canadian viewing shows up in the United States TV ratings that uh, I'm, you know, that I'm usually posting. And the other thing is in 2019, there was no out-of-home viewing measured, and now it is measured. And so I I definitely thought that the numbers would be higher. And so um, Ryan's basic thesis is the numbers were a couple of million lower than he thought it thought they would be, and that's true for me as well, uh, but that he goes on to thinking that he can explain half of that, you know, so like a million viewers by saying that it is because uh, Mark Jones was on the call the first two games. And then he, in his tweet he says, but it's not knowable. And, uh, I, you know, I responded to that. Again, this is a paraphrase. I'm I'm not looking it up. Uh, that uh, I am definitely in the the camp of many will disagree, but maybe this is knowable-ish because it is typically the case with uh, with NBA Finals ratings where Game Three is a little bit lower than than Games One and Two. That has been the pattern going on uh, most of the time for you know going back you know years and years. And uh, there are cases where it's not true, but even in those cases where it wasn't true, game three was up a little bit from from uh, game two, like you know, never more than never more than like four hundred thousand or something. So uh, I thought, well, if games one and two, which both average eleven point nine million, uh, come in and they're you know twelve point nine million, that goes against the trend. And that would actually argue for for Ryan's case being correct. Um, I didn't think that that would happen, and and uh, and one one of the reasons that I was kind of so quick to join team, uh, I I disagree with Ryan is because that's a big ask. Like you know, when you're looking at something that's uh, say 12 million viewers in a world where. I think it's been the case that everyone universally agrees that regardless of what these announcers are getting paid and how big of a deal it is for the sales folks and the the presentation and how they build everything up and even maybe to some degree people's enjoyment of the games. Like I think everyone universally kind of agrees that the announcers really don't matter to the ratings. So to all of a sudden say that uh, not only do they matter to the ratings, like they matter like, eight percent or ten percent i think it's at like eight percent right and so like it's a if to say that's responsible for a million out of 12 million viewers that's like a really big ask okay so um how i think about these things is it's plausible it's certainly plausible to think that the announcers have some impact on the tv ratings it's plausible is it plausible for to think that the announcers have eight percent impact on the tv ratings and for me i find that highly highly implausible um you know i i i just eight percent is a measurable amount and uh with most of these these theories that i'm quick to dismiss it's not that i think that they're com- entirely implausible um but i i think it's entirely implausible that they're going to make like an 8% difference, which would certainly, you know, show up in the numbers. And anyway, game three came in, it was 11.5 million. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I, I made some sarcastic comment that I, I was ready for, for you guys to tweet me or bring back Mark Jones tweets. Cause in game three, we had the natural experiment. Mike Breen was back. Uh, and so if, if Ryan's theory was going to, to, 
to be validated. You know, game three numbers should have gone up, but game three numbers didn't go up. They do what they pretty much always do. Um, and they went down a little bit. I think that, you know, they were down like 400,000 from, uh, from games one and two. So, um, when I think about these and, and, you know, I hear this a lot. It's like, ah, you're too quick to dismiss this theory or that theory. Uh, and you know what? Maybe it's true, uh, that I am a little too quick to dismiss some of them, but like, we'll, we'll take, we'll take another of Ryan's, uh, pet theories, which is that, uh, that, that uh, viewership is down because of the, uh, I'm just going to say because of MBAs uh, dabbling with social justice and um, which as even Ryan has noted, the NBA has pulled back. They, they, they pull back from their on Jersey and on the, on the, uh, on the game floor uh, visibility. But uh, there are people who think that because of NBA's, you know, uh, history of 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 its uh, social justice commentary that that has tuned people out and that explains the ratings why the ratings are down and uh, I'm quick to dismiss that one too and the reason that I'm quick to dismiss it is because I think I have a better theory and uh, the better theory I think explains what's happening equally as well better actually I think it explains what's happening better and is more plausible, right? So I, so the reason that I'm quick to dismiss that is not because I think that there's like zero instance of that happening. I think there's a huge instance of people who never watch the, and this was true back in the, when it was going on with the NFL. I think there's a huge instance of people who weren't watching anyway saying, I'm not going to watch. And I think, you know, it, is there anybody out there who stopped watching because of the social justice? Sure. Sure, I, I I agree that happened. Do I think that that you know that it's uh, that it's a, a big enough deal to even you know wend its way into the discussions on ratings? No, I think it's exactly like Mark Jones. It doesn't matter enough to to even consider, and so I am I am quick to dismiss it. And the reason again, so the the better theory that I have. Is actually, I think it, this is the theory that the NBA is circulating. It's you know, look, TV viewership is way down from 2019 to 2022. Just in general, like the number of people using television uh, while these games are going on is you know, I don't know what it was 30, 30 some percent lower than it was uh, uh, three years ago. And the ratings are down. Like I, I'm making this up too. I think they're down around 15 percent. So they're you know, you, the ratings are, the ratings are not down as much as sort of the general trend. And, uh, you know, that jibes with the overall notion that's been going around for some time that, you know, live sports and news are sort of the last bastion of linear TV viewing. Um, and this, this jibes with that. So the only thing is because it's down, but it's not down as much as everything else. Um, and you know, again, so I, like I, I, I look at the entertainment programming numbers and they're down even worse. Like I, I looked at some of the, like CBS's big temple shows, what they were doing in May, 2019 versus what they're doing in May, 2022. And the ones that I looked at were, uh, were NCIS, which, uh, was CBS's most viewed drama, at least back in the day and young Sheldon, which is uh, CBS's most viewed comedy. Now I need to, I need to uh, disclaim that there's a lot of differences between 
2019 and 2022 with those shows, which uh, is more than, uh, you know, just fewer people watching TV. So for, you know, young Sheldon in 2019 had a little show called the big bang theory as its lead in and not having that anymore, you know, quite honestly that yes, that's a big deal. And uh, NCIS has had, I'm not sure of what, percentage of the cast has turned over since 2019 but i know like sometime in the the most recent tv season so before before may 2022 um they lost you know uh mark Harmon departed the cast and he was the primary character on the show and so i think you know you got to factor those things in but nonetheless you know ncis is down you know, like 40% versus, versus 2019 and young Sheldon was down at, you know, like 80% or something. It was ridiculous. It was down a lot. And so, and this is to be expected, right? With entertainment programming, that's just what's going on. And so relative to those trends, the NBA is kind of resistant and uh, MLB as well. People, People, the, it's the same kind of trash talk that happens with the NBA ratings happens, though, with uh, less of the political motivation, although I'm sure that's going to pick up after some of the stuff the MLB's done in the last couple of years. But at any rate, um, the, they have bucked the overall trend, but they, they're, so they're, they're down, but they're just not down as much as everything else is down. Okay, so one thing, though, I think I feel very comfortable saying is nobody stopped watching uh, NCIS and Young Sheldon because of those shows' politics. That's just what's going on. And um, the real question for me is why isn't, you know, why are baseball and, and uh, NBA, why is the Baseball World Series and NBA Finals down? The real question, the interesting question for me becomes why is – Relatively speaking, relatively speaking, why is the NFL relatively far more impervious to the general TV viewing trends than other sports? And so it's something that I think a lot about. I'm going to get into a couple of reasons why why I think matter. And I'm going to wend my way into this with the number one thing that comes up. And this is true for the World Series. It's true for the NBA Finals. It's the reason why the ratings are bad. And the number one reason that comes up, it's always the start times. It's always the fucking start times. And so I guess I should be grateful that more people are blaming the start times than blaming uh, politics. But it's it's you know this is this is again get, getting back to the the you know plausible versus probable uh, discussion. Uh, it's plausible that you can explain the ratings drops with start time, but this one gets immediately. No, you know what? It's not plausible. It is plausible that the start times are affecting the ratings, but it's not really plausible that you can use it as a reason to say 2022 is down versus 2019 because in 2019, and this is true for the world series as well. The, the start times were the same, like they're not any different now. Right. And so whatever, whatever, uh, the start time take away from the ratings, you know, they were always taking it away or at least in the context of the comparisons that we're making. And so it's not a valid uh, explanatory reason uh, for why the ratings are down relative to years past. However, it brings up an interesting question. Do, uh, you know, do the 
in this environment where um, you know, people are just watching less TV, less linear TV in general, in that environment, do you need to be more sensitive to that? And it's, you know, honestly, and this is where I'm going to get into the NFL dis- discussion. Honestly, I think mostly with the kind of series that they have, seven-game series, you know, with the setup of a team in the East versus a team versus the West, I think the networks are just kind of fucked. I mean, they could make the start times earlier, but what they're really going for, um, they're they're trying to mix everything uh, and come up with what would be the best initial tune-in, right? And so they're trying to just balance everything. So the NBA thinks, well, you know, our games are, it's probably going to be over. It's going to be over before midnight, even if we start at 9, 10. They'll live. They've lived in the past. They'll continue to live. If there's a game seven, they'll suck it up and they'll watch. And it won't matter if the game, you know, the game runs past 11 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and and they're, the reason I say that they're kind of fucked is, well, if you want to maximize initial tune-in, um, you, you, and you make the start time and, and, you know, baseball does this baseball actually has earlier starts. I think they, you know, they're eight fifteen or eight twenty uh, Eastern, which is five fifteen or five twenty uh, first pitch on the, on the West coast. Uh, but baseball games go much longer than, than, uh, than NBA games. And so they have to kind of balance that into the equation as well. And so I think, you know, to maximize initial tune in, the NBA is saying, okay, well, if I want to get any West Coast viewers at the start of the game and I start the game at 5 o'clock, I'm, I kind of hurt myself. And so 6 o'clock is better. And even 6 o'clock, you know, people have jobs, people commute. Uh, even 6 o'clock is not optimal, but it's kind of the most optimal thing I can do without just totally screwing over the people on the East Coast who feel totally screwed over anyway. And by the way, people, again, I bring this up because the World Series games start at 8.20 and that, or 8.15, whatever it is, and that's not early enough for a lot of people. And, you know, fair point, the games kind of go four hours, and so they're going to go past midnight. And what do you do? I mean, I think, okay, so if you've got a schedule where you have a seven-game series, you got, you know, days off, you can't line up all your games so that they're on the weekends. Um, you know, you're in the NBA's case, their options are extremely limited. Like they they can start the games an hour earlier, and I don't think that's going to make the ratings any better. It's certainly going to tamp down the number of people complaining about the start time. But even then, again, I think that you will still get that. Ah, they start too late. What about the children need to start these games at 715 on the East Coast and screw up, screw the people who are still at work in California when that happens. And um, I think this is a less of an issue when the when the uh, when the Warriors are playing. But like, I think this is one of those things that would be a big, bigger war. Like if the Lakers were in the finals and you wanted to make the, the game start at 4 p.m. like on a Wednesday in uh in in california i think you know there's a legitimate claim that that's not fair and so i think that the hands are kind of tied uh as they're set up uh which brings me to my thought on the nfl which is you know the nfl does not have any of these fucking problems um and and when i think about why is the nfl impervious 
and and I by the way, like anyone else, I have a lot of, a lot of subjective subjective takes. I mean, you could say, well, the game is just it's a better game. It's a better TV product. It's this, it's that. The marketing is better. I mean, all those things are subjective. You can say them. Um I'm trying to look at what objectively do they have? What are the advantages that they objectively have in their favor? Uh and just from a from a TV viewing uh, perspective. It's one, they have a much more limited inventory. Uh, and that's, that's good as far as individual game ratings go. Um, but you know, to be clear and people always ignore this, uh, in the NBA and MLB discussions, the MLB have 162 games and, and NBA having 82 games. Um, it fuels, you know, the entire RSM business and, and the local business is a big part of the revenue streams for those leagues. And so, and it's, you know, it's tonnage, uh, even, even the national games that, that uh, don't do as well. Um, maybe because they're, because baseball is such a regionalized sport at this point, but it's still tonnage that, uh, that they can put on their airwaves and, um, it's valuable. It's valuable to have all that inventory and the, the, the businesses, even though I know people are crapping all over the RSNs these days, it's still, you know, a big revenue business. Uh, and when it blows up, that's going to be problems for, for the leagues. But anyway, the NFL is, does have the advantage of having a limited inventory. Uh, but more than that, to me, they have the advantage where almost all of their content uh, it airs in a way where um, they don't have to ever they're they're not they're not running into this thing with start times right so yes three games a week sometimes more uh, three games sometimes four games a week are in prime time uh, NFL but the NFL has 32 32 teams and only six of them are playing in prime time right so most of their inventory is Sunday afternoon, either in the early, you know, 105 p.m. window or in the late regional 405 or late national 425 p.m. window. And so all of those games, not only do they end before midnight, not only do they end before 11, not only do they end before 10, almost all of them end before 8 p.m. And so that is just a big advantage uh, for the NFL. And I think it's a real advantage Right. Because people have had that habit of watching NFL Sunday afternoons for years and years and years. It hasn't been disrupted. Um, They don't have it. There's like nothing on the horizon other than slicing up additional packages that makes them put a little bit more of the inventory uh, outside of those windows. But, you know, again, relative to the total amount of game inventory that they have, um, they don't have that problem of start times. And so. Uh, I think, you know, for me, I'm going to include that as uh, one of the reasons that the NFL is very, very dominant um, is to not have to deal with that. I have to deal with that. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I like would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. You, you had Steve Kerr kind of whining about the, uh, the game start times. I think he was doing it in a sarcastic and humorous way, but uh I, I still have to think, you know, if I'm if I'm Commissioner uh, Silver, that ah, you know, I really really wish he w- wouldn't have, wouldn't have said that. But uh, anyway, sorry for the long ramble. Uh, I just wanted to get it out there that um, you know sometimes things are plausible 
that aren't really probable. And I, I, I think there are ways to go about figuring out why they aren't probable. And I think there's a much more reasonable case that what is impacting the NBA's ratings are the fact that there has been massive pay TV declines, so there are fewer subscribers. And I, and I heard, uh, you know, John Oran uh, say somewhere recently, I don't think it was on his own, podca- own podcast with Andrew Marshan, I heard him say that, well, the finals are on, on the, uh, the broadcast network, so they're, they're not as impacted by, uh, by the pay TV declines. But mostly, that's actually not true, right? So one thing, Nielsen put this report out sometime in the last month, I think, where um, the, the, the good news with the people like me who use the antennas, the antenna usage is, is stable. It's not declining, but it's held steady at about 15% for a while. And anyway, what, what this means is almost everybody who was watching uh, broadcast network television, whether it was CBS, ABC, NBC, or Fox, was watching and is still watching. Most of the people who are still watching are watching via, via pay TV package. And so when there are big pay TV declines, that impacts the broadcast networks too. But uh, also, uh, the, you know, the more, moreover, the point is, I think that the, uh, you know, the, the, whatever your explanation for why the ratings are down, they're just not as good as the fact that there are many fewer people in the pay TV universe now, and there are many fewer people watching television in linear fashion. And, and there, and this is true even versus uh, 2019, which was only a few years ago. And for me, that explanation is just much better, much more plausible, explains all the data. And uh, it's good enough for me. Now I think that said, I think it's, you know, it's kind of disappointing that the, that the NBA finals ratings aren't better. I expected better. So I I do find them a bit disappointing. Uh, But as uh, Jim Miller noted, uh, it's not going to make a, you know, he, I think his, his direct response to me was it's not going to make a dime's worth of difference when the, uh, the new NBA rights deals are done. And I think that really, in the in spirit, I agree with him completely. To the letter, I think that depends. Like, well, I don't think it'll make a dime's worth of difference if it comes to doubling. Like, I think the NBA's rights fees are going to double versus last time, uh, regardless of of what the NBA Finals ratings are. Uh, but if the NBA really has a, a goal of tripling, uh, tripling its rights fees, and I I think it put that number out there largely as a as a negotiation strategy to to set the bar. Uh, but if it really has that goal, yeah, I think these finals don't do much to help it. Uh, these ratings don't do much to help it in that goal, but you know, nonetheless, the NBA ratings are going to go up. They're going to go up by, I'm guessing at least a hundred percent over the last deal, despite the ratings. And so from, you know, just the, the, the spirit of it, Jim Miller is absolutely right. It doesn't really make a difference what the ratings are. So Sorry for the uh, the long rambling podcast, but uh, I I wanted to uh, to get that out there, and honestly, I didn't think I had the the stamina to uh, sit in front of a keyboard and write it. So I, I tried to see if I could talk my way through it, and uh, we'll 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 see if this ever gets out there after I give it a listen. But uh, thanks for listening. Maybe someday I will do another podcast, either solo or uh, with the guest. Thanks again. <laughs>